thoughts. What's our motivation? And looking inside myself for answers. What drives the decisions we make? The question is, who do you want to be? Who do I want to be? Drives the decisions I make. Why do I do what My I do? My choices determine that. But not, you can't trick yourself. Where do I want to go? Who do I want to be? You can't trick yourself. Heart of hearts. It's all about choices. Hello and welcome to a guest in the house podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mickey Hess. And I am your other co-host, Strom Diggs, aka David Shanks. And I'm Steve Sachs. Oh, sorry. He's still <laughs> here. I was joking. You're still in. here. I was going to say, in, man. Come on. I was, was going to say, back, we back for episode this. two. <laughs> back for episode two. Steve Sachs is back. <laughs> so our special guest, Steve Sachs, is here. Um, this is a part two of two episode, and I'm going to try to tie together all of the stuff we talked about in episode one, because we're coming back to all kinds of different pieces, bouncing ideas off of each other, and uh, I was tasked with making it all make sense. So here, here's luck. my attempt. All right, so in part one of this two-part series, we spoke about the notion of the truth, and that was the name of Beanie Siegel's debut album. The Truth from 1999, and it was also the name of a song on the Tame One and Junk Waffle Hell or High Water EP from 2010. The Truth was track two on that EP, and Steve in the first episode had raised the question of how do you know what's the truth? What does it mean to claim you're the truth? So I'm going to try to bring all this back together. I mean, if you talk about authenticity, there's a couple of quotes that jump out in the general culture. Of course, to thine own self be true. Go all the way back to Shakespeare. And when it comes to art versus a commercial product, you've got most deaf, who I think can hold his own with Shakespeare. And he says, you're doing it for the love of the thing. Mm -hmm. And I think you can hear the love of the thing in that Tame One album that we talked about in episode one. Um, As I mentioned, you know, Tame One was a guy who was 40 years old. I don't think that he made this EP for any other reason than the fact that he wanted to make it and had fun doing it. Um, You know, at one point, Steve had asked me if there were lyrics to this EP online. And the the EP itself is barely online. (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to this thing for 10 years, and there was at least one point that I lost it and like was Googling trying to find it, and it was just non existent. So, as far as underground releases go, this one is pretty damn underground. So let me ask a question, yeah. um, which doesn't wrap it up at all, gets us more into it. But we're <laughs> yeah, here, that's, so that's the way to get We're it. here. You speak, and mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in Steve's mouth, but I'm hearing because we didn't really get to like how we felt about the releases, right? We didn't, I don't know. And that's that, what we got to. Right. <laughs> I feel like, so you've been listening to this because I thought this was a recent Tame One project. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I did not know this was 10 years old. 2010, yeah. So this is like a classic release for you? Like this is like a a major release like how do you feel about this this release from See, <laughs> I, I can hear the incredulity in your voice and i don't even know what that means <laughs> but it, i don't like it yeah. <laughs> means you can't fucking believe it yeah so yeah i mean for me and probably i'm going to venture only me <laughs> this is a classic i'm going to 
I'm going to say I've probably listened to this EP more than anybody who wasn't involved with making it and maybe more than that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really love this one. I put this down when we did the 20 years, 20 albums challenge. This was my 2010 choice, this six song EP from Tame One and Junk Waffle. And I think it's pretty fucking amazing. And, and one thing I really like about it is you can tell, you can just hear that Tame One's having fun with it. And again, there there was not much of any other reason to make it. I'm sure he never made a dime off of it. I'm not even sure any of it's ever been performed live. Um, I've certainly never seen any footage of it. And that, to me, that's part of of authenticity is you're doing it because you genuinely want to do it. Or like most Steph said, you know, for the love of the thing. And I I like something about a really raw, lo-fi release in hip-hop. Where you can tell that somebody just made it to make it. So now you know this is a classic, I think, example yeah. of the conversation we always have. Okay. <laughs> Weirdo rap. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird little EP for sure. Um, I, I've seen people frown and scowl when I've put it on in the car. That's interesting to me. Okay. Because I, I, I felt like, well, I, I do want to hear what Dave says, but I, I just no, no, quickly. Because I think you were going to say what I was going to say, because I think that's going a bit too far. I, okay. well, that's going okay. a bit too far. And actually, I think that, um, I feel like musically, it's there's a lot more, I guess, like synergy or something between the the vocal style and the the production on that record like it it it's i i I hate to say more musical but like it's when i when you listen to beanie he wants you to hear every single thing he say it's 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 vocals over a beat and the tame one record for me as i listen to it is like it's one thing and it's and for me like that works better as like sound as like a purely musical experience not just as a hip-hop thing so I find that interesting that like putting that on the car didn't register as sort of <laughs> instrumental music of some kind. You know what I mean? That it that it it was like, what is this garbage? Whereas like Beanie is talking to you and you will hear every word he says. And if you don't like it, that you know, you might not like it. You you might have an opinion on that, but you have to like truly listen in, I think, to the tame one stuff. And you can just absorb it as sound if you want. Dave, I'll I'll, I'll step back. I was gonna say. Well, first of all, you know, I enjoyed I enjoyed the record. So I'll just be clear with that. I enjoyed the record. I get a kick out of what you hold in like high esteem. <laughs> That's all I'm talking about. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you know, and I I didn't even think to even compare like the Seagull release to the Tame One release. I just wanted to hear what you know, you would think about the Beanie um, release. And I like Beanie. That's really what I, that's really what I, that's really what I I want to hear that too, actually. But, um, yeah, I'll talk about that. I thought I was, again, and context is important because I thought this was a re I'm thinking this is like 2016 or 17 or something. So I'm like, I'm first always excited to hear like guys that I grew up on, like my favorites from that era still, being like productive and sound sounding good. So that's always, so when I've, the first thing that on the first track that got me, I was like, okay, Tame's still sharp. 
I like it that. It sounds good, right? Right. And I'm like, because I didn't, you know, you told me, I'm sorry, what was the producer's name? Junk Waffle. Junk Waffle. And rest in peace again to Junk Waffle. Yeah. I saw Junk Waffle. I never saw Tame One until I clicked, you know, I opened the link. And I'm like, oh, yeah. snaps, Tamer D. <laughs> I love right. Tame One. So I went in like just happy about that. So I enjoyed the project. It's when you tell me that's the best release in 2010 <laughs> fair that enough, I think, fair enough. oh, I'm missing something. Because that's just a neat little seven-song project from Tame One. You know what I mean? And one but, song's just an interlude. And so that's why I laugh with your freedom to just enjoy the music you like to listen to. I feel like me, culturally... I can't get away with trying to say that the best release in 2010 mm-hmm. was from Tame One. Man. I feel like my peer group would be like, you go, go away. <laughs> You're being contrary. You know what I'm saying? But you, you can just, you just like what you like, man. It's beautiful. I got weird taste for you sure. You do have weird taste, man. And I, I appreciate you for um Thanks, man. I yeah. do it in the English department too. Like somebody will be talking about Faulkner or Joyce, and I'll be like, Yeah, but you did you read this weird little essay that this dude <laughs> published on this little site online? And of course nobody's read. Um, but yeah, I use those in class all the time. You know, that's I teach that's lit, that's I teach creative writing. I, I'll use something that I found like stapled together that some guy left in a coffee shop. That is that is an interesting personality trait. You have like a, a, a admiration for the obscure. I like the obscure because sometimes, you know, we talked about authenticity and truth. Sometimes I think there's a little less of a barrier between artist and audience there sometimes. That, no, I get it. I There's totally a lot less it. middlemen, right? I totally you know, get it. I stapled this thing together. I put it in the coffee shop. This girl found it. I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, thinking about how I got into that mentality, um, early 90s, you know, I was listening to a lot of punk and I was reading a lot of zines, which are just these little solo authored publications that people tend to staple together. Um, shout out to Al Burian, who's Zine Burn Collector, is one of the first ones that I really got into. Um, and hip hop, like I said in, in, in part one of this two part series, um, a lot of really awesome rappers had lost their deals in the early 90s. And were kind of scrambling to figure out how to get back into putting out music and getting it to people. And you had these awesome labels like Raucous and Hieroglyphics where people came together and figured out, okay, you know, we've been on labels. Now, how do we start our own? You know, how do we put together like a team and play shows and get our stuff out to people? And I think a lot of cool stuff came out of that. I agree. I agree. And so... The thing, the thing about that is like while that's going on, because someone's laughing somewhere that like Trom Diggs is the mainstream guy on the podcast, right? <laughs> that's that's a joke somewhere. That's good, <laughs> but that's interesting. You know, just our vantage points. You know what I mean, and and, and, uh, yeah. and kind of our entry points in to hip hop, and why I feel like some type of group you know, <laughs> responsibility 
to like, there's the stuff that I like personally. And that's always like, as a participant in the culture, I have to acknowledge other things that may just be like a phenomenon of the culture. So I have to say, yeah, that's, that's, that's the bigger project or that's the better project. It may not be my favorite Interesting, project. Yeah. So you got to almost pay homage, right? You got to know what was big, what was important culturally. Correct. Correct. What say you, Steve? I think you're I think the, you do um, not feel that responsibility. You know, I probably should feel it more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are blind spots for sure. And Beanie Siegel was one that I admitted to. And I'm glad that Dave turned me on to him because, you know, he's a guy I've always, always seen the name, always heard people shout him out. Um, I know of him, but I haven't listened to him per se, as, as people tend to say about bands they should know and artists they should know. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I guess to answer the, the the bigger question you asked, do I feel that responsibility as like cultural critic or a professor? Just yes. as a fan of, well, just as a fan of hip hop, just, just as, as a, a fan, fan of, of the art form, yeah. That's what I told him. That's what I told him in a previous episode. Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming around to it more. I am. Um, I missed a lot of bad boy stuff because I just didn't like it. Well, well, we might as well put Black Rob on um, <laughs> the, list, next time. the listening list for the <laughs> next time or G-Dep or something. I'll make one up. I'll make one for you. That sounds good, actually, because I, yeah. I did miss some stuff. There was so much cool stuff coming out in the underground that I got into a mentality that all the mainstream stuff must just be garbage. And uh, I, I wrote a yeah. lot of it off without listening to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could see that. <laughs> and I don't do that a lot today, but I haven't gone back and made up for it. Mm. Mm. Well, we're going to get there. And in the, mean, do it, in the meantime, I'll hear a bunch of classic, obscure of um, hip-hop albums that I've never heard before. Yeah, I'm going to say like 95 to 2000 in particular. I missed out on a lot of mainstream stuff because I just thought I was too cool. Mm. You know, I, I had so much awesome underground stuff and I, I had plenty to listen to. Didn't need to hear that Puff Daddy stuff. Early hipster. I kind of was, you know, (laughs) I didn't dress that way. (laughs) Well, listen, I wanted to, because, um, we got a little political at the end of the, uh, of our last podcast and we were getting into, you know, rappers and, um, I wish I had, um, brought that, um, Malcolm X quote about, you know, celebrities, (laughs) who gets to be leaders in the black community but you want to give us the gist of that quote for people who aren't familiar with it well yeah in a nutshell it is you know interesting that the media tells us at that time it was lena horn and dick gregory i guess harry belafonte yeah um bill cosby Sidney Poitier, that those were the leaders of the black community. In 2020, folks would say Jay-Z, Beyonce, LeBron, um, you know, where we are with 50 Cent and Lil Wayne. And, you know, we're still being given kind of 
these celebrities as leaders, as as spokespersons for uh, the race. So, um, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. You know, some do, of the Do you mean that at, at celebrities as opposed to, say, like, real intellectuals leaders. or... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just Actual don't leaders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 Which, you know, gets us into kind of the the whole dance. Well, I wanted to have a conversation with you guys. I wanted to, I wanted to talk to two white guys about the black vote. You know, (laughs) that's, I know I sent you a text last week and I want to quote my own text. So I said, the issue of rappers popping up last minute and the presidential race is timely, but about all I can say is that it does no good for me to be yet another white guy. (laughs) trying to tell black people which ways they should organize and where they're doing it wrong. Hmm. Well, I'm going to pose a question and I respect that. And I don't want to get you in any trouble. No, I think I want you to pose it. And I think we got, I got to go. For we got, it. We, got, we, got, we got Steve appropriating hip hop songs and you disrespecting the black folk. That's all we need. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to read a segment from the nation um, October 20th, 1956. This article is titled Why I Won't Vote by W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm. I'm going to read a little uh, paragraph from it. He says, <clears throat> In 1956, I shall not go to the polls. I have not registered. I believe that democracy has so far disappeared in the United States that no two evils exist. There is but one evil party with two names, and it will be elected despite all I can do or say. There is no third party. On the presidential ballot in a few states, 17 in 1952, a socialist party will appear. Few will hear its appeal because it will have almost no opportunity to take part in the campaign and explain its platform. If a voter organizes or advocates a real third party movement, he may be accused of seeking to overthrow this government by force and violence. Anything he advocates by way of significant reform will be called communist and will of, necess- will of necessity be communist in the sense that it must advocate such things as government ownership of the means of production, government in business, the limitation of private profit, social medicine, government housing and federal aid to education, the total abolition of race bias and the welfare state. These things are on every communist program. These things are the aim of socialism. Any American who advocates them today, no matter how sincerely, stands in danger of losing his job, surrendering his social status, and perhaps landing in jail. The witnesses against him may be liars or insane or criminals. These witnesses need give no proof for their charges and may not even be known or appear in person. They may be in the pay of the United States government. ADAs and quote unquote liberals are not third parties. They seek to act as tails to kites, but since kites are self-propelled and radar controlled, tails are quite superfluous and rather silly. Those are the words of W.E.B. Du Bois. And that was 1956. So within five years, Du Bois had moved to Ghana and renounced his U.S. citizenship. Correct. So five years later, wow. 1961, he was out. Now, 
remember now, this is W.E.B. Du Bois who helped found the uh, NAACP. This is a man who was very much tied into the political system, supported candidates, organized, you know, uh, an entire lifelong commitment to the process. Mm Mm-hmm. By 1956, he's so jaded by the two-party system that he uh, withholds his vote. In 2020, we're, um, well, we had a conversation, I think via text, maybe a couple months back, Mickey, and I told you, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Because I was so jaded by the process that I just didn't know that voting, you know, was a move I wanted to make. I have since voted. And by the time this airs, we'll know <laughs> yeah. what happened. But maybe, <laughs> but it may I, take a while to count the votes, but I did vote. Okay. Um, not because I really honestly feel this driving passion to remove Donald Trump from office. I don't like Donald Trump, obviously, but I didn't feel, I don't feel like I voted because at the end of the day, the whole, you know, this guy is better than that guy. And at least we got that guy, that guy. I just kind of by sheer, I guess what you call self-defense just pull the lever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's just driving down the block and going and filling out some paper and walking out. There was no reason not to do it. Except that I don't know that I'm, I would ever do that again. I don't know in four years if we're faced with this same set of circumstances that I'm going to vote. Presidentially. I'll always vote. If local. we were faced with the same set of circumstances, first of all, I don't think we'd get a vote again in four years probably if i mean if uh, if if the i i guess in this circumstance like trump is still in office you're saying i'm saying just i don't know i'm i just know if i'm if i'm being for me as a black american if i'm being given the choice of this guy's the devil this guy's done a bunch of fucked up shit but he ain't mm-hmm. the devil i don't know that i'm gonna vote it right yeah so is there uh, i don't mean to be rude but like it, what is there a is there a question at the end of this because i don't have a i don't know that like what you're saying i can't like argue with it i mean too no, much no, no. you know i'm i'm, I'm i want to know what you guys think about the web the boys quote in context of 2020 in this being over 50 years ago it feels like it could have been written this week doesn't it sure yeah i mean it's wild yeah like, and that's where that's more where i was at because i'm i'm in this same space right now that's the only reason why i gave you my personal anecdote mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. i'm in this space right now even though i voted and i'm sorry this is over 60 years yeah ago and we're still you know like 
what does what does that mean that we're in exact same space and our and our quote unquote socialist candidate this is exactly what happened to him well it's funny that you so can i respond to that with two sure. first two things i think the the first thing is well not voting certainly hasn't changed the parameters of the argument if everything he's just said in that quote is still applicable now it, it's not like not voting worked or something so that but we could unpack that but then i think there's a second thing to kind of tie back to your what you were saying about keeping up with the culture and saying there's no way you're like there's no way i could say that this tame this tame one record is the best record of 2010 because i have a responsibility to the culture and if i like i can't say that because other people won't think that's true and therefore like i can't i can't vote that way right so like the the parallel and i was hearing it at the time and i'm i'm kind of glad we can tie back to it but it's kind of this electability argument that you hear a lot like well bernie's not electable mm-hmm. other people won't vote for him right. so i can't vote for him right or like this whoever aoc so you know the person that's further to the left that's further uh you know has the views that W.E.B. Du Bois is talking about in the, in in that quote. The person with those views is, is too radical. They're too extreme. They're not electable. Other people won't uh, choose that person. Therefore, I can't. I won't. And I'm gonna. Ha- I have would, to pick Hillary or whatever. You know, anyone who everyone who would thinks that way. <laughs> so then right. It doesn't, so then it everyone doesn't votes for the other person. <laughs> so so there's something kind of self defeating in that, or or like, I just it's interesting how that popped up in the other, you know, in this unrelated, seemingly unrelated area of like, what's your favorite record of 2010? Um, and it's actually kind of applicable here. Like, I, I think that played out in a large way in 2016 on the, on the Democrat side. Like, now, the difference, yeah. the difference in, cause that, that, that's a good point. I like that point. I would say the difference in the music being, I feel like if I really thought Tame One had the best album yeah, in 2010, yeah. <laughs> I would advocate for it. You know what I mean? But, but oh, the yeah, truth comes out. The 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 kind of um, and we didn't get into this, um, Mickey, in our podcast, the whole Vlad thing. But being on code, right? There's a lot about being on code that's in kind of the 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 media and just in the world right now and so the vote my vote this particular election is like yeah it's like being on code it's like the culture needs me to do this so i'm going to take this one for the team mm-hmm. and who's the team i myself i'm i'm where the boys was in 1956 just not enough to not pull the lever, but then he also, you said, left in like <laughs> he was six up, years. Five years <laughs> exactly. So clearly, speaking to what you're speaking to, Steve, by those term of events, from being a organizer and voting advocate to being c- completely left, left of the country, the whole yeah. thing, to completely leaving the entire country <laughs> and saying, yeah. "I can't do it anymore." He did it before most stuff did it. Mm-hmm. Talk about talk about the truth. Talk about really yeah. 
really standing on when I was this way, I was this way. And when I was this way, I carried the same fervor for being this way than being that way. I'm going to leave. <laughs> it, it's even in a much larger way, similar to what Steve was saying about Donald Glover and his quote about Atlanta and who you're making a TV show or a film or an album for. You know, a lot of the discussion about the black vote in the United States since the the subject even came up has been how does it benefit white people? And, you know, there are a lot of white liberals who are as guilty as white Republicans of wanting black people to vote because it gets their person into office. The same way that white Republicans hope that black people don't vote for the most part because that gets their person into office. Correct. So again, you know, I've mentioned this book a million times, Carol Anderson's One Person No Vote really opened my eyes to this long-standing scheme of voter suppression. I definitely read about it, um, listened to podcasts, documentaries before, but her book just really nails the heart of this scheme to keep black people from voting. And so you come back to these easy platitudes like, well, you know, if your vote didn't count, they wouldn't try so hard to keep you from voting. But who does it count for? Who does it count for? Exactly. Um, Who exactly are you helping? And that's why, I mean, I guess out of this last minute flurry of uh, political interest from some hip hop stars, I mean, Diddy's is probably the most interesting. Create a new party. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about being late to the party, man. I wish uh, I wish he'd thought of this four years ago, eight years ago, sixteen oh, years man. ago. Yeah, you know. um, maybe and if hope- you had been listening to those bad boy releases from nineteen ninety five to two thousand, <laughs> maybe it was there. <laughs> could have had a few extra dollars in his pocket. That's true. Man. So I'm putting this on you, Mickey. You know, you may be right. If I could go back, I'd change it. You could have you could have taken such an interest in the music, you might have wrote him a letter. <laughs> I mean, he did the voter die campaign. Yeah. Which was when when George W. Bush, I believe, was running for his second term in office. Yeah, yeah. I think that was uh that was the that was the Kerry election, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I will be curious, no matter how this well, election the Kerry, goes, the Kerry non-election. The Kerry non-election. <laughs> I'll be curious what happens to this idea with Diddy and a new political party after this election. I worry that it'll kind of fall by the wayside. Um, um, my eyes are open. Yeah. I'm, I'm paying attention. And, and if, and if that is the case and we're still recording, yeah, you will hear about it. <laughs> and I hope he's the face of it, but not necessarily the person doing all the organizing. And work. Well, I was, I was actually on a, um, conference call and um dr wes bellamy um who is a um organizer took basic him and his team took credit for creating this really party and kind of diddy is the face of it (laughs) okay that's good to know i wasn't aware of that according to him yeah it's kind of like it was kind of our thing and he kind of um you know, tagged his name gotta, to gotta it and attached it. to it and put the sure. thing and and yeah and sure. and look, it's gotta it's gotta get out. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Um, Dave, maybe I can ask you a question. Sure. 
because you you kind of you know in the in the W E B Du Bois quote he listed a, this kind of platform or whatever that I think we would agree is close to the at least closest in like the most recent years to like the Bernie platform. Yep. Um, but my understanding is that Biden, Biden, and I, I don't know, we, I don't know if, how political we want to get on uh, about the rehashing the um, primaries, but I, I felt like I kept seeing over and over that Biden was carrying the black vote um, like consistently, especially in the South. Um, in a way that I'll admit surprised me and and kind of uh, is not maybe consistent with like the WBEB divorce position. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if maybe you could speak to why that might be like it it really is a thing that I don't I don't know that I fully understand because it was it seemed the numbers seemed so overwhelming as if Biden was offering this incredible. Oh, we got to back Biden. He's our guy, you know, um, and it just didn't seem uh, I, I don't know what he was offering or what was on what what he was putting out there that would be so consistent from state to state during those primaries um, with, you know, that that community. Like, do, do you do you have any insight into that? My my the way I um processed it was that if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, Bernie was ahead going into South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um Bernie did really well up north and was coming into was that the first Super Tuesday, which which was South I, Carolina? I really, truly a couple do pluses. Not remember. I can't I, like yeah. we always say, look it up. Yeah, <laughs> write us and tell me Folks, I'm tell me I'm the theater. <laughs> so, Jim Clyburn, who is a um, heavyweight, I believe he's a senator. I'm going to fact check that, but mm-hmm. he's a heavyweight in the. He's a he's a U.S. House. He's a House member. Um, Wow, he's two-time majority whip, but he's from South Carolina. Big, big, big Obama guy. Mm. He's given a lot of the credit to what happened in South Carolina and then the rest of the South after that particular primary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that pretty much sealed it for Biden. So we have, and this is kind of the question that um, we brought up in terms of the rappers. Mm-hmm. We also have a political black elite mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is very much tied into the Democratic apparatus, the Democratic Party apparatus. Joe Biden's their guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Period. <laughs> Period. <laughs> so they they got it done. Obama came out and they got it done. Because again, we don't really want Bernie Sanders to be the Democratic nominee. We do, me, you, and Mickey, maybe, but they don't. They being the Democrats. They being the Democratic Party. Mm 
Yeah, they sure. kind of made that well, here. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. It's, it's been, you know, yeah, that's, we got that now, right? That's not, who that's not their, yeah, it's not their that's guy. Not it's not their, their candidate. platform. No way. Yeah. Exactly. And so the question you're asking me, Steve, is why I wanted to have this conversation. Because we talked about, remember there was an episode, Mickey, where we were talking about, you know, we were using the metaphor. Our first couple episodes were all about the metaphor of the house. We just broke down different angles of the metaphor in the house. And I think at some point we had a conversation and I asked you, like, under these circumstances, what would you do? And you was like, I'd start my own record label or I'd do my, I'd do my own thing. And I was like, exactly. Right. So the question you're asking me is if these policies... And I'm going to be, you know, as humble as possible because I am not, I'm speaking as Steve. I'm not a black guy. But from my vantage point, these policies seem more aligned to what you guys should want from the government at this time. It's not even so much that. It's that it's almost, it's almost verbatim what (laughs) that quote was. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. So, so. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Why would you guys then just go and I? I don't have that answer, Steve. <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to find. I think it could out. be about white people. I think that's what I'm trying I'm to find. Who out. will white? Who will white people vote for? Which just goes back to that electability. Oh, thing. that's a hundred percent. Well, that's what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day. That would be my guess as a white person sitting here. But I, I was curious if you had a take. If that, you know what I mean? I didn't that want to hundred words in your mouth. No, that's a hundred, but, but that's the, that's exactly what we just said about the music. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who is this? Like, who's consuming this? It all comes back together. Um, if I can make another book recommendation, sure. Cause that's what I do on the podcast. Um, people out there read Cedric J. Robinson's black Marxism, the making of the black radical tradition. And this book came out all the way back in 1983, but it's definitely pertinent today. It's got uh, touches on Du Bois, touches on Richard Wright, and a lot of other important black thinkers in the 20th century. Um, The premise is basically that a lot of the studies of black radicalism in the U.S. or black resistance to oppression in the U.S., on the academic side, have looked at these movements strictly through a European lens mm-hmm. or a European-American lens. And that sort of skews the whole way you look at it. So what Cedric Robinson does is he really takes an African and African-American and transatlantic slavery approach to resistance, to radicalism. And it, it really is very eye-opening. I think it's, it's an important book to check out all you listeners out there. Okay. It's on my list. It's on my list. So, so that two party system again, that Du Bois was taking to task back in 1956. I don't see it going anywhere. (laughs) Clearly. Yeah. I mean, the parties change shape and sort of reform and even flip platforms in a lot of, a lot of ways. If you look back at the history over the past hundred years or so, but if anything, I mean, the Democrats are sort of becoming a center-right party. 
Well, you know, what we know is that a 70-something-year-old white man will um, be the next president. <laughs> yes, yeah, there you go. And I mean, it's it's interesting to call Biden or Harris a socialist. Mm-hmm. That's a stretch. It really is, but yeah. but that gets thrown at them all the time, right? These accusations that uh, you know Harris is the, is the most radical person in the in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the most leftist person in the Senate. I mean, come on, right? I don't know what records they're looking at, but <laughs> it certainly doesn't seem to be very accurate. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're probably closer to like a, a scary far right party sort of taking over what the Republican party was. I mean, you could already see it in progress and, and the Democrats sort of being the stabilizing center, right? I don't really see this scary leftist socialist party that people are so worried about. Oh, you know, it's, um, it's AOC in them. Oh yeah. (laughs) All those scary colored people. Yeah. And what's so scary about her? Oh, man. I don't know. You know, a lot, you know, I don't know if you've heard this narrative um, from a lot of our older Democratic voters where they say they need to wait their turn. I've heard that mm, yeah. reference more than once. Like, they're just doing too much too soon. Like, I get it, but it's just, they need to, you know, Play the game, get some stripes. Be yeah, seasoned. people said the same thing to Martin Luther King Jr., right? Yeah. He wrote an essay about it. It's called Why We Can't Wait. Maybe familiar to some people out there. Um, there's an urgency to these issues, right? Right. Um, right. And as, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, justice too long delayed is justice denied. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, any any final thoughts, Steve? You've been a um awesome um hangout buddy too, man. This has been great. Oh, it's been I appreciate great. it. It's been Thank great dialogue. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. you've added a lot today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I have any final thoughts. I'm trying to think of a way to tie it back to the music, and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm blanking. I mean, I do think that there is a um tendency for. I, I was texting you about this earlier, Mickey, about yeah. liberals being susceptible to fascism. Mm, uh, yeah. And I've been very interested in this lately. And I'm sure you can imagine why. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, the sort of unique weaknesses of um, a liberal mindset, which sort of um, believes in this magic process where all ideas come to the table and uh, they are put in sort of the, the marketplace of ideas and we, <laughs> we debate them and mm-hmm. we figure out which one is the best one. And then, you know, we all agree and we move forward. We get a and, consensus and we move Yeah. Forward. And it's like, I just believe in that less and less. Uh, and especially when one, when one party in particular is not coming to the table in good faith mm-hmm. and is not coming to hash out which ideas are the best they're coming with uh, uh i can't even blame them but they're coming with an ideology that's that's the that's the ideology oh y'all guys want that oh then it's not good we don't want well it. that's part of it but they but they but that also denies like 
things we know that are true, which is like things like racism or things like sexism or things, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm Jewish. There's a lot of anti-Semites. They have an ideology. I don't agree with their ideology, but like they have an ideology. The um, the ones who seem to be infiltrating. Yeah. Yeah. That's what what, uh, Mickey mentioned about that kind of far right being like main, the new mainstream Republican party. Yeah. yeah. And I've, t- I've texted Mickey in the past about this. I, I like my, my like secret hot take is that like Mitch McConnell's the only good politician. <laughs> like he's the, I, he, I don't agree with anything he does, but Very like effective. he Very knows effective. what his job is. He knows what his <laughs> job is. Effective. Can you imagine if there was somebody on uh, like what I will call our side with that I, level of yeah, tenacity. I and agree. Uh, I agree. I was telling, you know? I was telling Rachel that the other day, Mickey, I said, this guy's effective, man. You can't argue with his record, what he's been able to do. Yeah. He believes this is something. one of, this is like some Andrew Jackson type shit. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's changed the country. I mean, what he believes in is evil. <laughs> right. <laughs> what you say, Steve? I, mean, I, I said, I, I said, I think what he believes in is evil, but he believe yeah. he he's will he goes to bat for it yeah. over and over. Yeah. He will do anything to make sure that like the views that he opposes don't even get they don't even get heard. In yeah. the, you yeah. know, like yeah. and what you have, I you know, on what passes for the left is like this. <laughs> adherence to uh the process and oh we just, just fake go through the just a, we a, have to put on the face the face it's always the face we can't we're not gonna play muddy we're not gonna yeah. get in the dirt they go and, and, they go yeah, low exactly. we go high yeah it's, and they like, win come on man yeah and and i think and i was i don't want to advocate for violence but that was the thing we were talking about uh in the text with mickey was like you know they're I don't want to go down that route actually, but, <laughs> but what, what I guess what I'm saying is, is just that the, what you're saying about it, we say we have this two party system, but we have like one party that truly is pushing for something. And this other party that believes in a process and that, and that a process it's a, it's, it's um what is it? Uh, means over ends, right. right? They, they have a belief in, the way government should be done, or the way Correct. politics should be done, but that's not a belief in in a thing. Correct. We're <laughs> in no, a thin and, world now. Yeah, we, and everything about you know what makes um, you know even making it a music conversation again, like what the artist is about in 2020. Just when we talk about the the truth and the authenticity and like the hoodies, the guys that are like catching and, you know, some of these stars, the whole reality of it. Like you have to have a real opinion on something. <laughs> yeah. Take a stand. You have yeah. to have a stand or otherwise no one's interested in you. And that's, that's been the the, the party for the last eight years. What do they stand for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if there's a vulnerable group of people or groups of people, mm. And the only people they have to turn to are the people who don't really stand for something. I mean, what? Here we go. <laughs> you know? Here we go. Yeah, that's that's, that's it. Choice. That is it. And there's footage. I know I've sent this link to Steve at some point, and probably Dave too, but there was a point a couple years ago, McConnell and his wife were eating dinner in this barbecue restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky. 
and some guy in there starts screaming at him and snatched yeah. his plate and threw it in the garbage. Yeah. And like the McConnell just cowers, man. He's not a tough guy. He doesn't even stand up. <laughs> but you put him in front of President Obama and he won't let that guy move. Mm-hmm. You know, he won't let him have one one Supreme Court justice, you know, just one win. And it's insane that, you know, that same guy doesn't even stand up or say anything when you snatch his plate off his table and throw it in the trash. Mm-hmm. And now he's Not got advocate for violence or anything. Well, so. sure, right? <laughs> Has and now he's been... got his protege Daniel Cameron, which is is so insidious. Daniel Cameron is Kentucky's attorney general, who yeah, it, yeah. it certainly looks like yeah. misled a grand jury into thinking they weren't supposed to consider any mm. charges against these officers, any charges of murder or manslaughter. Mm. That that is what those two um jurors said, right? Yeah, and they're expose, and that's McConnell's guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate, man. Yeah. Uh, has there been anything, um, any literature like of note written about him? About McConnell, you know, I was just trying to search it up. I'll have to find it more. We'll add the link to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, there's a good yeah. article about his designs on power that really talks <laughs> like 30 years ago. He was saying, Well, if you could become Senate Majority Leader, if you could do this, if you could do this, you can make anything happen. So he's Man. really studied. I don't even know if I want to call him loopholes. He's just studied the rules. He knows the rules backwards and forwards, and he knows when he can make those rules, make whatever he wants to happen, happen. Yeah. Uh, I think it's even deeper than that. I think it, it's kind of like, uh, was it like Sun Tzu or whatever? Like know your enemy yeah. and I, know that's yourself funny or whatever. I, that's funny because I was thinking like he would he would have been like one of those wartime generals like he yeah his strategy like he's but the fact that the Democrats are so um, beholden to the rules yeah and he banks and on that, that. He, and and that's what I mean about the about what I was saying <laughs> earlier they about won't the, go, the, they won't go as yeah they, they won't, won't. No. and if he can say I'm following the rules even if that means changing the rules he know you know what i mean Correct. it's like that's the that's the the particular weakness one step ahead i think of the liberalism <laughs> of, of liberalism as a viewpoint like it is it, it it's like well those are the rules we have to follow the rules but you the know? rules like, mean different because when the, when, the ru- <laughs> when the rules were one way he changed the rule to yeah. get his way then, then he, he can still uh, point he made to the them rules uphold the rule <laughs> yeah and they did and and i mean you can I think that's a, a lot of times how, you know, this podcast is a lot about uh, a race and, and, you know, there have been how many people that see themselves as well-meaning are like, well, well, we, those are the rule. I mean, those are the laws. Black people can't ride, you know, that part of the bus or they can't sit at that lunch counter. They can't use that water fountain. That's the law. It's true. You don't know you what I mean? It, so, so here's, it's so, it's so, that's the weakness that like, of not having a point of, you know, of not having a, 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 a not an ideology, but like, but uh, a, of, of this blind adherence to the process and the rules, it, it it's, I, I don't think it works. I just don't think it works. And, and here's, here's where I go in a different direction, because I have to ask myself then, are these fairly well off? politicians who mean some of them have been in office for decades 
how much does it matter to them to push whatever this agenda that we don't know what the agenda is? Like, what is their incentive to really go hard for the people that put them in office? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Their, their life know. hasn't been affected in these four years. They're fine. Yeah, I mean, something I've thought about recently. It's tough. So you um so it's tough, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Steve talked about the um no no who who just said um liberalism can become fascism. I did, yeah. yeah. We're we're talking about an elite in this country That's now. Like, yeah. I mean I even the you know, it every argument goes to Hitler, right? But like <laughs> but like the same thing with the Jews. It, the Nazis were how many, what was the, the famous, defa- I was following orders or I, you know, it was, it was all done legally. Mm-hmm. The Holocaust was a legal, it was legal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't illegal for them to do that because they shaped the law. So how many people are, are just, you know, content to point to the law and say, well, I, I mean, right. we can't break the law. We have to put these Jews in these, you know. <laughs> and and, and then that, that holds the same for slavery. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who stopped. They were, we were traded. Uh, he sure. ran away. He yeah. ran away. But that's the law. He has to. You know, I gotta go get him. We gotta get him. Yeah, we gotta bring him back. I mean, even when it wasn't the law, they made it a law so that they could come up north and get him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that and that's what I fear because I, you know, we're old. Well, I know me and Mickey are old enough for sure to remember like the local politician. It is like, this guy's not rich. He's just a politician. Like, you know, he's, he holds a little representative office. And, but this space operating where, like, our lawmakers are rich people mm-hmm. <laughs> is a scary space. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this is, for me, Mitch McConnell was one of my local guys. You know, he was, <laughs> he's been there in Kentucky since I can remember. Right. He wasn't as rich back then. Right. Some of that came from his wife, but uh, some of it came from whatever politicians do behind the scenes to get that rich, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking some about how, you know, a lot of people on the left or the center left, whatever you want to call it, think like, well, we don't really like Biden, but, you know, let's get him in there and then we'll kind of hammer away at him say no no you got to do this we want you we want to push you left we want to push you more socialist I, I worry that a lot of people on the right and i could be wrong about this but i worry that a lot of people on the right say i want to get my guy in there and just let him go crazy man let him do whatever he wants i love this guy i'll follow him anywhere he wants to take me and that may be like a really key difference that the democrats are just used to not being that happy with their choice it's always the lesser of two evils. Um, I remember people who had been very excited to vote for Obama within nine or 10 months were like, oh man, he's not doing anything. You mm-hmm. know, I thought he was going to snap his fingers and change the world. Change the world. And you know, yeah. what's, what's he done? You know, he's been in there two years now. What's he done? I think you see a lot of people with like a blind allegiance, especially to Trump, but you saw a lot with George W. Bush too. Mm-hmm. They're just happy their guy got in and he can do no wrong. <sighs> I see we're coming up on an hour here. I sure, could talk sure, about sure. this forever. I don't know if you want to cut this, but uh, I do think there's a key 
um, maybe worldview difference there. Like there's a, there's a, I think it's always going to be difficult to please people on the left because the left is a plurality in ways that the right is not right. Like right. we're talking about LGBTQ. We're talking about uh, uh, people of color. We're talking about um, indigenous people, right. Jewish people, you know, it, these groups that have um, maybe like overlapping interests, but not the same interests. Yeah. And then, and then you look uh, maybe on the more extreme of the other side, and it's a more a much more homogenous group that values like uh, groupthink and kind of you know uh, um, patriotism and and um, relig- religion and all of these things that are kind of about deference to authority in the first place. Yeah. Whereas I think on the left, there's less of that to begin with. Like it's more about like you know fly your freak flag do you be yourself like break the mold Correct. not like fall, fall in line so which is as mainstream as it has been probably in the history right. of our country so the right now becomes right of mainstream yeah. and mainstream just becomes mainstream it doesn't actually have <laughs> it's just hey let's all just hey <laughs> but that makes sense as to why like you're going to hear that about obama or whatever like if nine months in is because how do you please all those people? Well, that's true too. Uh, you know, who, he, a, who he pleases is up for debate, but you know what I mean? Like, sure. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's a lot tougher job <laughs> when on the other side, all you have to do is stick it to those people. That's enough. You don't actually have too, to right? get anything done. Yeah. Well, that too. There's but the grievance that. and the, yeah. So you know we're all we're all we're all being taken for a ride, man. That's the sad part. Yeah, I mean it's scary. I know everybody's tense right now. We're recording this two days before uh, the election takes place on Tuesday, November third. We may not know, or we won't know, the winner that night. I'm gonna guess. I'm Uh, guessing that as well. Yeah, and won't stop won't stop some people from. Proclaiming themselves a winner. There you I am, go. <laughs> I am. I am. I think we're all prepared for a shit show. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're all bracing. Yeah. Man, do you think Du Bois would vote this year? I I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he wouldn't. Wouldn't? I'm sure. I'm pretty sure he would not have voted. Yeah. And he probably would have um <laughs> left the country <laughs> six years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good relationship with the president of Ghana came in at the right time for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always interesting to me. He died the night before Martin Luther King's speech in Spe- yeah. Memphis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah nineteen sixty-three. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Fascinating yeah. stuff, man. Well, I yeah. mean, regardless of you know, hang in there. that's the thing but uh, before we like truly wrap up i i i never know what to do with this that like where 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 this thought process lands me you know it's like for all of this okay and now what (laughs) i still haven't answered the question that was my that was that that that, that's why i voted (laughs) right (laughs) it's just like all of this and then you just go vote yeah, and get this guy out of here. Like it's just that's 
it's it's you know what I mean. It's the equivalent of you, like you said, of of listening to the Beanie Seagull album. Like I gotta listen to the Beanie Seagull album. It's my it's the culture. It. <laughs> my duty, and I'm glad <laughs> I did. My duty. I'm glad I'm, I did. I mean, you know, just to I'm, cap that piece of the conversation off real quick. I love the Beanie album. I think there was a dead spot for me in the middle that reminded yeah. me of why I avoided a little yeah. bit of that uh, late '90s stuff. And there were just three songs in a row that I thought, oh, yeah, this is why I kept turning off the radio. Yeah. So when, when I got to remember them days with Eve, I don't really want to hear that. I don't really I hear knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Everybody want to be a star. Yeah. Um, really, that was it. It's dead middle of the album. Other than that. It does that, pick back up at the end. It I sure agree. does, right? You know, and but, yeah. those, but that was speaking to what Steve brought up, which is like those songs in the time period were necessary for some reason. And I imagine they were all <laughs> You know what I mean? D- d- remember Them Days well, in particular a is a softer, oh, big time. Yeah. And it's like a softer come up story. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wasn't that, wasn't that nice? Yeah. You know, yeah. coming up rough, like, man. Oh. Like, I'll probably take those tracks off and just keep listening. I'll, I'll just make my own version of the album that doesn't have those on it. Well, but yeah, um, I'm really glad I heard this album. This there's great. that. And then I, I, I think, you know, once you get into like the the next two, oh yeah, you'll start to hear where there's less of those attempts. Okay, mm-hmm. and it just becomes like niche niche stuff. Like I'm going to cater to my audience more so than say Jay Z would. And his, you know what I mean. Once he got into that space, he was able to navigate that space of I'm making party records, I'm doing, you know, the street stuff. I'm, you know, I'm just going to give you the whole thing. Definitely. Yeah. I'm going to check out the, the next albums. Yeah. Maybe that's the tie into the politics then. Maybe it's, yeah. it's playing uh, the game. That, that, well, but also this idea of something niche and maybe that means we have to act locally if we want these, these kind of bigger changes that we're talking oh, about. Absolutely. And that, and that at the national level, it's always going to be, uh, maybe not always, but it's, it's likely going to be a remember them days, but maybe at the local level yeah. we can, we're the guys, we we're the guys the losing track. our record deals. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> now it's time to create another, like, you know, marketplace mm-hmm. for old nineties rappers. <laughs> Well, the marketplace seems like a good place to leave this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this was great. I had fun, man. Yeah, definitely. Thanks yeah. again for joining us, Steve. Glad you could hang around for the two-parter today. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll put up some links to uh, the flagrant ones and some of your other music and everything and make sure people can find you out there on the internet. Sounds good. And yeah, that that's all I got today. Anything else from Dave before we sign off? No, sir, man. I think we've uh, you know we emptied a clip today. We're good. All right, all right. Go listen to Beanie Siegel and Tame One, and uh, if you didn't vote, uh, enjoy the long line Tuesday. <laughs> and that's and a guess you, in the and house. If you, and if you didn't vote, I hope it worked out for you. If you sure. did vote, I. Hope it worked out for you. I don't know, but um, we'll, we'll see we'll you in see, Ghana. We'll yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, let's hope it doesn't come to that, but it's, it's something to consider. All right, so this was a guest in the house. Um, I'm Mickey Hess signing off. Thanks again to Steve Sachs, our guest, and to my co host Dave Shanks, as always. Peace and love, and black and power. Black power. <laughs> see you guys next time. Yes, uh...